If you haven't already done so, you can turn to James chapter 4. That's where we will be spending our time this morning. And uh, let me get my clicker here. And as we begin, I'd like to set the context for us once again. And it's uh, a book uh, by Jesus' half-brother, and um, he is addressing the early church. And one of the things that really stands out in James is that it's really a book about how your faith in Jesus Christ manifests itself, okay? And he's not so much concerned in in the grace through faith aspect, although that is true. But he's more concerned about how then does that relationship, that new relationship that you've entered into, to uh, have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and to entrust your life to him, how does that manifest on a day-to-day way? And... uh, you know, right off the bat in chapter one, he says that it shows in the way that you handle suffering, the way that you handle trials. It shows in the way that you use your words, your tongue. It shows in the way that you treat others, particularly the poor and those that don't have an advocate, those that are in the margins, the widows and the orphans. And so James is very practical in the way he sees our faith fleshed out. That it manifests itself in our, the way that we look at life and ultimately in the way that we actually live. And here in, the, in this section, it's no different. In this section right before, it talks about worldliness. It talks about our interpersonal relationships particularly, that if we are professing faith in Christ, it's going to affect the way in which we deal with one another, that there will not be backbiting, there will not be a sense of using our words to hurt each other. Look at verse 11, do not speak evil against one another in chapter 4, right, right before this section, okay, and that, again, that's just one example of many of how James wants us to understand our faith in Christ. And what he does is he goes in concentric circles. He'll address an issue at the very beginning of his writing, and then he'll come back to it once again. And in in this section, it's no different. He addresses issues of materialism, of worldliness, of money. And James realized for the early Christians, one of the key elements of how they're going to express their faith is going to show in how they think about and ultimately how they use money. So we're going to see this morning from verses 13 to 17, and it's an extended section here that he'll address not just here but uh, it transitions in the beginning of chapter 5 as well and he becomes even more pointed in terms of how we think about money and how ultimately we use it 
So that's our context this morning. Let me read our section. And then let's get into God's word uh, together. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the text this morning. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to get together. And Lord, as you've brought many more brothers and sisters into this fold, Lord, use your word to transform us, our thinking, and ultimately our lives. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have but three simple points this morning. Shamon. There we go. All right. <laughs> Humble planning, okay. And uh, I think it's appropriate for us to uh, center our, our thinking as we enter this time of remembering the advent of our Lord, the, the birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, think about how we ought to be having kind of a mindfulness not just of the season, of course, but throughout life. And this is one of the main points of this section, is that there is a sense as we go through life that as we do our ins and outs, as we go to college, as we start our careers, and particularly in those stages, that we think about and be intentional about our frame of mind. Because I think this is essentially what this section is talking about, is to have a perspective of life that is not just on Sundays. And I don't don't know if you've heard of this term, but it's called Sunday Christian. And growing up in the church, uh, many times I would often hear this term uh, by particularly my youth pastors. And they would use it in the context of, are you just a Sunday Christian? Meaning, you put in your offering that we just did, you sing your songs, you listen to your sermon, but then you go off back home and it's just back to business as usual. That there isn't a sense of the presence and work of Jesus Christ in our thoughts and in our lives. And that's what this term means, right? To be a Sunday Christian is you're just doing the act of being a Christian just on Sundays. You see your friends and you say hi. You put on your smile. Some of us don't put on our smiles, which is good, you know. You're keeping it real. (laughs) Okay. 
you get what I'm saying, right? Is that we come to church, we put on our faces, and we act like everything is good. We do our due diligence and our due, due, uh, our duty to sing our songs and to listen and to eat our coffee, have our, our, our donut, and then go home, okay? Uh, and this is exactly what James is talking about, okay? He's talking about having a perspective that is just compartmentalized, okay? And I think he wants us to show, especially for those that are in positions to self-determine their future. And this is what this section is about. And you have to understand, uh, in the first century, there were but a few people in this category. And we take it for granted in our 21st century that we kind of have a schedule of life. You go to school, you do your high school, you go to a good college, and you get a good job. I mean, you, get, you go to a good college and you get a good job, and you make good money. And that's kind of the, the normal progression of life that we all have in mind. And that in that process, as I go to college especially, I can self-determine what major I am in, okay, and what I can do for the future. It was interesting when I was uh, teaching at Double uh, ACF, there was an engineering section and a pre-med section, and then about 10% others. <laughs> of course, that's, you know, that's where the money is, right? But all to say that that kind of mindset fosters this idea of self-determining, self-realizing, self-actualization, that we are in command of our futures. And we have uh, options and, and decisions to make, which is true. But understand, the first century, this was a minority. It's less than 5% of people at this time that actually could make money in a self-determined way. Everyone was mostly a slave. Or you were in a client-patron relationship. And so what James, who James is addressing here are those that were already kind of rich in this first century context. And those that could self-determine and say, hey, let's go here and let's go there and do this or that to make money. So it, it's particularly stinging um, when he transitions into chapter 5 of addressing those that are already rich because that's who he's addressing here right now. But James wants us to be aware that as we go through life, we need to have a dynamic in our life in which it's going to acknowledge the presence of God. And if we could just end this sermon now, that would be it. Okay, there needs to be 
a manifestation of our faith and relationship in our Lord Jesus Christ that shows up every day, not just on Sundays. That there is an awareness, a perspective, an intention of our lives to practice the presence of God in all the things we consider for our future. As we think about planning and and going through life, I think this is what James is shepherding us toward, okay? Is to have a a real-life awareness and that, hey, once you have a relationship with Jesus, it's going to manifest on the day-to-day. So let me go through our outline here. The first, okay, is that in verse 13, we are to plan openly. And what we mean by openly here is that we are planning tentatively, okay? Verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. We notice right off the back, right off the bat, that there is a sense of intent, of purpose, of certitude in the way the rich are talking. That there is a, a dynamic here of being able to self actualize and self determine their future and their lives. And this is what James is warning us about. You see that there is a a duration. There is an activity. There is a purpose. All of these dynamics are present in this first verse. And particularly, it's aimed at making money. Okay. And really, we can't, we can't let that escape our notice here, okay? It's because James is transitioning, come now. I've, I've talked about our interpersonal relationships and how those brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to be living in unity and harmony, but come now. Let me, let me address, and let me get back to the rich that I already addressed earlier, Okay? And earlier, the way that he addressed them was impartiality, was that in the church dynamic, there tends to be a a favoring, a dynamic where those that are rich, we kowtow to them. So, oh, please, here, sit over here. Because why? Again, you have to understand their context, is that the majority of them are slaves, and they're beholden to money. And to that dynamic, it's just the way of life for the majority of that population. So money speaks much stronger then than it does today. Because look, if you look around the room, I don't know if you saw an interview recently with the richest man on earth, Elon Musk, okay? And he was trying to, uh, you know, he was arguing that uh, some of these uh, corporations were trying to blackmail him. Well, how do you blackmail the richest man on earth? Okay. And similarly here, 
I mean, by and large, most of you guys make similar kind of money. Maybe some more, some less. But we're not beholden, oh, you know, we're not thinking in the back of our minds, especially in this first century dynamic, where showing favor can result in financial help. Because it was a patron-client society. And the way that you actually attained favor and, and money was through showing and groveling. So again, all to say that the way that we think of money is a big indicator of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. And this was a concern for James, and that in the church dynamic, should that be so? Okay. And he directs now his attention in, in chapter 4, to the dynamic of, of their self-determined reality. And that for us, if we're going to take cues from this verse 13, is that we should think oppositely. Okay? That there ought to be a sense where we are making plans without this dynamic of being able to say, Okay, I will do this, and we'll do that, and then it will result in this. Okay. That there will be a willingness to say, Lord, if you would will. Okay. And we'll talk about making plans, and that it's not wrong to make plans, okay, but that in that process, we always need to invite the Lord into it that it is not compartmentalized, that it is just another section of your life that you determine and the rest God can have, but that all of life, especially in our professions, in the process of our money-making, that God would especially be in that process. I got a boogie, okay? So to that end, let's look at some of these verses. Psalm 33. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. Meaning we can make all the plans that we want, but the Lord is going to really ultimately determine what's going to happen. Proverbs 16.9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 16.9, and Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. These passages make plain and clear that it is the Lord that is sovereign, that it is the Lord that determines what happens in this life and in particular our lives. How foolish of us to think that because we live in the age that we do, because of the context of the way in which we are raised, that we self-actualize, self-realize, and self-determine. How foolish. It is the Lord that determines our ways. It is the Lord that determines our plans. Our plans. 
So we have to plan openly. We have to plan in a way that acknowledge that it is the Lord that will ultimately do what he will do. When we go on uh, vacations, especially for, for my family, now, I don't know if you guys are, are planners, but I'm a planner uh, not in the general sense, but just for vacations, okay? So meaning when I know we have a vacation coming, I'm going to plan, and I'm going to plan, you know, in detail because uh, really none of the rest of my family really care, okay? <laughs> uh, but anyway, okay. And we're going to, so in that process of planning, you have to determine where you're going to stay, what you're going to do. Mark Landig knows this. Mark Landig is a professional when it comes to planning, okay? I'm not on that level, okay? But you get what I'm saying, right? Is that you, you want to experience, you want to do certain things that you're going to want to enjoy, Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? And as you guys think about planning for your lives, as you think about planning for your future careers, there is nothing wrong with planning, okay? I have life insurance, okay? Does that mean I don't trust God? Okay, oh, you don't trust God. I don't know what's going to happen. Right? We all do not know what's going to happen. And so we need to understand that it is God that will direct our steps. And in the process of planning, that we acknowledge who he is and what he would desire for our lives. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's one of the main points. All right, Plan, point number two. Plan for eternity. Let's look for verse 14. Yet you do not know what, your, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. What James makes clear here is that there is a brevity and frailty to life because he likens life to a mist. And that's the idea there. The mist, that word you can use for vapor or steam or smoke, and it's to illustrate that life is temporary. It goes fast. How fast does smoke last? It is at the, at, at the whim of the wind, okay, in terms of how long the, the mist will last. And so one of the things that we can take cues from here is that we don't live for the now. The live for just the temporary. But one of the things that we have to keep in mind in our planning is to think about eternity. We don't live for the here and now. Okay. Um, one of the questions that I like to ask is, you know, are you ready to meet your Lord and Savior right now? Or is there something that you need to experience before that happens? Because for Paul, 
His attitude was, I'm ready right now. Okay. But for many of us, we're kind of shepherded into, we're kind of herded into this mentality that there are certain key experiences and things that we have to go through before we can be with the Lord. I have to graduate high school. I have to graduate college. I have to get a job. I have to make a certain amount of money. I have to get married. I have to have sex. I have to have this certain kind of car. And what that fosters is all these stages, you have to accumulate certain kind of money in order to do those things. I want to visit here before I go to the Lord. And for many of us, that's kind of the norm, that our life stages, our life experiences determine how we go about living life. That these are the things that must be done before I'm with the Lord. The Lord will not judge us according to how many cars or different kind of cars we were able to drive. How many places we visited how many food stalls and food experiences that we were able to undertake. All of these things require money. And this is what's driving the statement from James. As, as people realize there was more self-determination available in the first century, because look, in the first century, there was this dynamic called the Pax Romana. And under the Roman Empire, there was this peace. That's what it means, Roman peace. And the roads were more secured, they're more safe. And, you know, this idea of just living as slaves was slowly starting to transform. And many, not many, but some started to be able to experience self-determination and consequently, more money and more experiences and more of the good life of only the 1% up to that point we're experiencing. But now today, in today's dynamic, most, if not all of us, are now in that position. Our life is but a vapor. I've hit four, 53 years in this life. It went fast. And, you know, as a lot of people say, after you get married and have kids, it goes even faster. And each year, I just can't believe, like, ooh, this is another year? Okay. And more, because you're, you're juggling not just your own schedule, but, you know, you're juggling the schedule of your wife 
or your partner and, and uh, your children, they all have schedules. So each day is filled. Okay. And it goes like this. It is exactly because we do not know when the Lord will bring us home, okay, that we have to live for him and for eternal purposes. What then are eternal purposes? What then are eternal things? It's God himself. It's his word. It's his people. These are the things of eternity. So as you think about how you craft your planning and your ways, what does it center on? Is it God? Is it his word? Is it his people? Are these the things that are moving you, that are crafting your schedule? For most of us, it is our jobs. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, And that is but a vehicle to make money. It supports the rest of our lives, our shelter, the, our transportation, our food, our sustenance. But all of these things should be reminders of God's goodness in our lives. And it ought to point us to investing in the things that God cares about. What does God care about? Is it our cars? He doesn't care. He doesn't care what you drive. Only the ladies do, guys. So as you think about the things that we are investing into, are you investing into your relationship with the Lord? Are you investing in your relationship with his word? Are you investing your relationship into his people? And not just his people, but all people. Because we realize that every human being has an eternal soul. And these are the things that we ought to be investing in people, is relationships. Our believing relationships and our non-believer relationships. That's eternity. That is what ought to really determine the big majority of our bandwidth. Okay? And the things that we do, the things that we think about. Luke 12, 16, 20. Would read that for us. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, will, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God and is not rich toward God. You don't want to be a fool. Thirdly, plan humbly dependent. I just couldn't get the phrasing here. I could have said plan prayerfully, 
plan with the presence of Christ plan. But, the, the, you know, really, it's to be humbly dependent. 15 to 17. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That word arrogance there, right in the middle of uh, verse 16, it's this vain boasting. And this is what James wants us to avoid, is this idea that we can self-determine. Instead, here's the punchline. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. All such planning must be humbly dependent upon the Lord. In our lives, as we think about our futures, especially for those that are are in college, as you think about the rest of your life, okay, it might be just today, that's the rest of your life, okay. But even for today, if the Lord wills, right, as you think about what you would like to do today, as you think about what you like to do for the next week, if the Lord wills. You see this uh, uh, attitude of arrogance in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. When we believe that we can determine all of life and we are the masters of our futures without any consideration of the Lord, we are really evil. We are not in the, in, in, in the will of God, but we are trying to determine all of life based on our own thinking. I want to share for you two stories very quickly, okay? <clears throat> and I, I think you'll be uh, familiar with both of them. The first is a story of Apple, okay? In 1976, Apple was founded by three men, Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and Ronald Wayne, with the intention of selling Wozniak's hand-built personal computer named Apple One. And uh, in 1976, July of that year, Apple went on sale and was sold for 66666. Deal with the devil? I don't know. But their main idea is to offer products that are going to make life easier and better. Okay. And we see that in 2018, it became the first trillion-dollar company. Let me share with you a second story, okay? This is a story of Chick-fil-A. In 1946, Esther Cathy opened a tiny diner called the Dwarf Grill. It all started with a boneless chicken breast. This is directly from their website. Hand-breaded, perfectly seasoned, and pressure-cooked. Truett decided to serve the filet on a toasted buttery bun with two pickle chips. 
Today, we still make the Chick-fil-A sandwich the same way. And we still believe in serving great tasting food made with quality ingredients and delivered with a warm smile. In 2006, Chick-fil-A surpassed $2 billion in system-wide sales. By 2020, Chick-fil-A became the third largest fast food chain in uh, America. And get this. Their corporate purpose is read like this. To glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. Why why do I read these two stories? Especially in our context, we know of and we will interact with people that are going to make money and that they are in a mission to do that. Story of Apple, okay? There's nothing wrong with that, okay? But you see the two modes, the two ways they operated. For Jobs and Wozniak, it was for themselves and humanity. It's not a bad thing, right? Okay? But it was for themselves. For the the Kathy family, we see that even in their corporate purpose, it was to glorify God. Okay? There is a huge difference there, right? And yet God blessed them and honored them to become the third largest fast food retail chain. Okay? So it can be done, is, is the purpose of telling you these two stories. Okay? Is that in the process of desiring to make money for God, you can. And in God's providence and sovereignty, he may or he may not. But the key is that we are humbly dependent and acknowledging his presence and his purposes for our lives. So as we enter into this season of planning for gifts, for what we're going to get each other, of, you know, just... um, for our futures, for in more, more broadly and more generally, as you, especially for those in college, as you think about your next stage of life and you think about you know, planning for your future, don't be Sunday Christians. We can't be. Okay? We can't compartmentalize our lives. We need to acknowledge that God is in every area of our lives, especially in the way that we want to think about and the way that we want to make money, okay? Because this, okay? Jesus understood that there is an innate drawing nature of idolatry for money. He doesn't say anything about, else about this, okay? But money in particular... He says it's a master. And again, in the first century mind, it comes very quickly and naturally. They understood what a master was. We don't know that in the 20th century. There is an intrinsic nature to draw our worship and our attention that money does. Okay, So we have to especially be aware as we 
as we navigate through life, that that is so. And that we need to make sure that our master is the Lord Jesus and not um, our desires, or especially our desires for God.